0: Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 7, The Prophets, the P-H, Prophets. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself. For a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. At the end of last week's episode, Isaiah was before me as I sat on a throne in the midst of the Holy of Holies in the temple. Isaiah is overcome with a sense of his sinfulness and coming from a people of unclean lips, as he says. And so an imposing angel touches a coal to Isaiah's lips, symbolizing a removal of his guilt and atonement for his sin, thus allowing him to remain unscathed and unfried in my presence. Then, you may recall, I just happened to wonder aloud, Gee, who can we get to do this important mission for us? Isaiah, bless him, practically raises his hand, jumps in the air, and shouts, Ooh, pick me! Which, of course, we do. And we'll look at that mission in a moment. It's not like you don't already know what it is at this point. Before that, though, walk with us through the prototype here for a bit. Why do we want this to be an example for you? And I should say, as we start, please do not fire up your Weber kettle or hibachi. No coals will be required in this exercise. We've already pointed out that Isaiah is getting a mighty rare experience here. We are not going to do the same with you. Not that we are out of the revelatory vision business altogether, mind you, but the full Yahweh treatment is reserved for Isaiah-level commissions. We have a call on you as certain as his, but we are revealing ourselves to you in other ways. For one thing, the owner's manual was still very much a work in progress in Isaiah's time. It is a finished product in yours. That's why we are walking you through it like this as one of your primary, though not exclusive, interactions with us. Isaiah sees me through the lens of the worship pointed at me by the seraphim. If you look up a place of worship in the yellow pages or online, Uh, The Yellow Pages were a local resource published annually that listed various types of services and businesses according to category. The more prosperous of these businesses purchased printed ads within it, which funded the production process. It was printed on yellow paper to distinguish it from a similar resource listing residential phone numbers printed on white paper, which explains whitepages.com if you ever use that. These books, the yellow and white pages, were delivered free of charge to households by the telephone company, an entity that once ran actual wires into each home to connect with a primitive device with a real working bell inside it so that one could communicate with others possessing a similar device. Whatever resource you use, you will not be able to find a local meeting of actual seraphim who are gathering to worship me that you might attend, despite the fact that there are a handful that use seraphim in their name. Though worship by angels is an admittedly wonderful way to witness my glory, you'll have to settle with catching a glimpse of me in the midst of humans who are worshiping me. If you're not already doing so as part of your life, Think about the people you know who are already on the way and invite yourself along with them this week. If you're not sure if you know anyone on the way, ask me to put them on your heart as you think through candidates whose lives point in our direction. Please restrict yourself to local friends and acquaintances, leaving folks on television, radio, and the Internet in a different category. This is an important step because in addition to your time in the Owner's Manual with us, we are also reaching out to you in less concrete than read the black and white ways through your relationships with other humans, particularly those on the way. Before you can invite yourself along to worship me with them, you've got to meet and know them. Thus, some of the chance meetings you've had with them can be chalked up to more than chance. Some of the coincidences you've witnessed that move your heart can be credited to more than random probability. We will have far more to say about this in the next volume as we explore more fully the chapter of the Plan in which you live. But for now, notice that you have available to you an experience of catching a glimpse of me in my word, my worship, and my people. This, of course, is not an exhaustive list. We haven't even mentioned here how you get to see me in my world, but we covered that a good bit in our discussion of creation. Believe me, you'll know me when you see me. It's what happens when you see me that counts the most, and what Isaiah shows you so clearly. When he witnesses our righteous glory and hears imposing supernatural beings bellowing their praises to me, what does this experience trigger in Isaiah? An awareness of his sin, of his unworthiness. Faced with my righteousness, Isaiah is immediately aware of his unrighteousness. The same needs to be true for you. Not that I want everyone to walk around their entire lives on a guilt trip about how terrible and unworthy they are. Awareness of sin is not our ultimate goal, friend. It is a necessary means to our ends. Yes, there is much more to life with me than this, but this must be the starting point. Isaiah's recognition of his flawed nature speaks to the whole purpose behind our having you listen to this very podcast, Relationship with Me. Isaiah recognizes he's not worthy to be in our presence because of the parts of him that are not holy, and that incongruity between human sin and our perfection has to be recognized by humans before it can get fixed. That recognition is what we're trying to get Israel to see with our prophets. It's what you have to see before you can be in relationship with me. It's the point of our law given to Moses. It's the point of nearly every interaction we have with you through every medium available to us, and that covers a lot of ground. Through it all, it's not about being right or wrong. It's about relationship. Once you've recognized your flawed state and its resultant exile from me, I can fix it. We'll handle it for you. Not with colds, though I can assure you it's not a pain-free process, particularly for us. But until you realize that your sin prevents you from being in relationship with me, it forms a sturdy wall between you and us. Check Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. I am prevented from tearing down that wall without your permission. It's that whole thing where I love you so much I let you have the power to choose your destiny, whether that be your breakfast or your eternity. Once you're purified, though, as Isaiah is upon his acknowledgment of his unclean state, there's work to be done. We don't make you whole solely to enjoy the outrageous benefits of being in relationship with us. That's part of it. But part of that relationship involves your acting as our representative to those around you. We call Isaiah to act very publicly and address the whole nation, and a handful of you have or will get a similar call in terms of a public mission. However, most of you are tasked with simply bearing witness to the people who come into your life as a matter of course. What that looks like will be different for every person, different for you, and different for every ongoing interaction you have with other individuals, as you ask us about them, and we nudge you this or that way. For starters, since your encounter with us at this time is substantially through the Owner's Manual, consider giving a person we've put on your heart a copy of Tom. If this podcast has been helpful to you, recommend it to them. Ask us, and we'll give you a sense of whether it's time to take steps that's substantial yet. And once again, we'll have a good deal more to say about this part of your life when we get to your stage of the Abra Plan. For now, though, there's certainly plenty to glean from Isaiah's encounter with us and his response to it. You already know he took the job. Let's look first a wee bit more into the rest of his career. We commission Isaiah at the beginning of Jotham's reign in Judah, and you can assume that Isaiah's early messages in Jotham's time consist basically of the summary material outlined before our flashback with him. Toward the end of Jotham's tenure, and at the first of that of his son Ahaz, yet another king from up in Israel decides to come after Judah, this time at Pekah, whom we've already introduced, who is now in alliance with Rezin, king of Aram. Having spurned Assyria and knowing he's no match for them on his own, Pekaz allied himself with Israel's former Syrian enemy for strength against their common Assyrian foe. And why not expand their strength by whooping their southern cousins and adding Judah's resources to the pot? They set their sights on Judah's king Ahaz with a plan to replace him with their own man in a triple alliance against Assyria. And if you've read ahead in Kings and seen the type of fellow Ahaz is down there in Judah, you'd think we'd let these guys wipe him out. Ahaz is bad business. While this isn't necessarily because his name sounds a whole lot like Ahab's, you can't help but notice the similarity of name and of heresy. Kings doesn't compare him to Ahab outright, but that's certainly inferred in He followed the ways of the kings of Israel. Second Kings 16.2 summarizes his dazzling failings. Not only does Ahaz offer sacrifices under every hyperbolic green and spreading tree, he also sacrifices his sons in the hope of gaining VIP treatment from the god to which he directs the burning of his boy. Unfathomable. What happens between Ahaz, the allied kings of Israel and Aram, and Assyria could be seen as a bit of a puzzle. For one thing, You're dealing now not with just double accounts of these goings-on in both Kings and Chronicles. Isaiah's voice is added to make a trio. Even then, it's not simply a matter of dealing with three accounts of things. It's looking at things through three starkly different lenses. The writer of Kings, ever centered on politics, Make sure that you see Ahaz's alliance with Assyria as the primary factor in Judah's escape from total destruction, though it makes him a subjugated vassal, 2 Kings 16, through 9, which includes Assyria's capture of Damascus, the capital of Syria slash Aram. The writer of Chronicles, with his eye on matters of law and righteousness, Make sure that you know that Ahaz in all his personal pollution does not, in fact, get off scot-free, but in fact is firmly trounced by Pekah and Rezin, though Ahaz is not quite destroyed. Second Chronicles 28, 1-15, in which the only reason there are women and children left in Judah is that a prophet and set of elders in the north make Israel's army send them back to their homes then Isaiah has an entirely different set of lenses. His are the ones we'd like you to adopt as your primary guide in this. Isaiah's lenses are informed by a much larger perspective. The prophet's account gives a glimpse at the opportunity we extend to Ahaz, although he predictably declines it. When Ahaz has an anxiety attack upon hearing that Syria and Israel have formed an alliance against him, We send Isaiah to speak with him. Yet, even as he goes, Isaiah brings at our request his son, She'ar Yashub. The boy's name means a remnant will return. So, without saying a word, the kid by his mere presence asserts the long view of both exile and eventual restoration. That's one very important point. Another is that Isaiah promises, or rather Isaiah quotes me, by opening with, This is what the Lord Yahweh says. We relay that Jerusalem, the head of Judah over which Ahaz rules, will continue to stand, but that the days of Damascus and Samaria, the respective heads of Aram and Israel, are numbered. Israel's literally so, with a countdown begun by Isaiah. We admonish Ahaz, giving him a golden opportunity in spite of his checkered history. If you do not stand firm in faith, you shall not stand at all. Isaiah 7 outlines this episode with this lick appearing in verse 9. This is a pithy way of saying that if Ahaz stands with me, he and Judah will be left standing after the maelstrom of conquest that is to come. I am the one who is going to guide these things. And if Ahaz will repent of his strayed allegiances and turn in faith to me alone, he'll be safe, not only from Israel and Syria, but from Assyria as well. And you can turn that last sentence on yourself with just a couple substitutions. I am the one who is going to guide all things eventually. And if you will repent of your strayed allegiances and turn in faith to me alone, you'll be safe from everything, everyone, and be in my rock-solid arms on the way for all time. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, Give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, Be good to yourself.